Good afternoon, Liloba. Thanks for having me here doing this interview. We are going to talk about apartheid and segregation. I would like to first ask you to introduce yourself and uh, your profession. I know you got a PhD and uh, a little bit about your family background. So please introduce yourself. Yeah, I am Liloba Moleva. Uh, 79 years old, <laughs> um, a retired academic, uh, graduated from the University of Pojana Lesotho in Swaziland. Our cohort of students were the first to graduate after the independence of Botswana and most of us became civil servants, replacing experienced British officers, some of them who had seen service in India. And uh, as African countries became independent, some of them migrated to South Africa. We couldn't live in England anymore, I guess, <laughs> because they'd been away in the colonies for so long. Yeah, my PhD was on the introduction of literacy here in our region. And I looked particularly at uh, the first writers in the region. Uh, uh, Thomas Mufolo, who was a Mosoto, who wrote the first African novel, actually. He finished writing it in 1910, I think, and then it was published in 1915. It's called Chaka, and has been translated into about 20 languages. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And your family, if you could tell me a little bit about your family background. I know, for example, your father, he was educated in, in Edinburgh and he got a, uh, a very interesting also um, profession and your mother worked within education. Could you tell me uh, a bit about them? And well, my great-grandfather, I guess it is, father, grandfather, yes, my great-grandfather, called Mulema by name, was the first, amongst the first Christians uh, amongst the Barolong. Very much like the people I, I studied for my PhD who, uh, who became Christians in, in their old age, and then their children are the ones who went to school and sometimes not for very long. Thomas Mofolo went to school for four years, formal education, mission, school. Uh, his contemporary from South Africa, Solomon Plaike, went to school for six years. He wrote the first Southern African novel in English called Mhudi. 
but he also wrote political tracts uh, like uh, Native Life in South Africa. He was a founding member in 1912 of the African National Congress. Yeah. So my great-grandfather belongs in this generation and it is their children who then go to school for not very long and it is their children's children, that would be my father's generation and my mother's generation, who then got a full-scale education. Uh, and when was that? My mother was born in 1905, my father in 1901. Um, my my paternal grandfather, also a mission boy, was a Methodist minister. Uh, yeah, and they went to school. She and her sisters went to school in Kilnerton, uh, and they became either teachers or or nurses. On my father's side. My father and his brother, Mudiri Mulema, became medical doctors. Mudiri ahead of my own father. Uh, studied in Edinburgh and in Glasgow. And yeah. your father was he, his surname is, I know his, his uh, first name is, I know his surname is Mulema. But yes, Sifetuhi. What does that mean? Uh, someone who changes. He's named after, yeah, the people of those days used to marry polygamously, right? Uh, I think, and Tawana, Tawana was, was from, from whom Mulema is descended, Mulema's father, uh, was Munsiwa's brother, the chief, yeah. Does Mulema mean something also have a meaning? Mulema means, there's a debate about that. Mulema could refer to the left hand, could refer to, to cattle whose horns, who the left horn going to the ground, mm -hmm. right? Mulema, Hadinaka, horns. Yeah, but it could also refer to the horns of what is our totem animal, actually, the kudu, taller. Yeah. So any one of those, I guess, yeah. would work. Is it the fact that your your father, Mr. Muliama, was uh, the first black doctor in Botswana? Well, it depends how you look at it, okay? Because the colonial border cuts through Barolong territory, right, with the capital being Mahikeng and ploughing fields, some of the ploughing fields being on this side in Botswana, right. Mahikeng was called British Petranaland and then Petranaland Protectorate, right, and both territories were under the British. So if you count my uncle in he would be the first doctor in these circumstances. But what happened to my father, though, was that 
he and his brother, he and my uncle, ran a practice together uh, in South in South Africa in Mahikeng. First, my uncle alone by himself in town in Mahikeng, but then had to move out of town because of the Group Areas Act that had been passed in the 1950s. Um, and he lost everything. If you read a book by Shula Marx, there's a passage where she says, in those days, you referred a, a, a patient, and some of his patients were white. You referred a patient to the hospital, and then you visited him there, treated him whilst the patient was in hospital. And the white nurses in this hospital called Victoria Hospital in Mahikeng refused to work under him because he was black. <laughs> That's true. That was your uncle and father. Not yet, my father. Mm. My father worked in the way he came to Botswana. The first time he came to Botswana, he was recruited by Tsikerikama, actually, with another doctor, I think, from Kimberley. He came called Muikangwa. Tsikerikama is who? Um, he is the uncle of Tsikerikama was the regent for him uh, because Sirathakama's father died when 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 he was called Sukhum, Sukhuma the second. Sukhuma the second died when Sirathakama was six years old, I think. And so his uncle Tsikedi mm -hmm. served as regent. Mm -hmm. uh, he'd been studying in Fort Hare. 1926, and he became regent for Bangwato on behalf of his nephew, mm -hmm. Suraj. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so. Suraj had an older sister called Oratile. <laughs> Oratile? Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but of course, she was not eligible because she was a woman, mm. much older than Sikid, mm. who mm. is the eldest son mm. then of 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 Sukhum. Mm. And Luluba, yeah. can you please open? Um. This here. Mm -hmm. You have to press there. The questions. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Oh, that's how yeah. you do it. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for that background. Um. Yeah, so my father and his brother, after the group, yeah, my father worked there, and, and then when <laughs> my aunt, my aunt Ella, my mother's sister, was married to Tsikedi Khan, you see, so he was recruited. Tsikedi used to recruit people from Barolong because some of them were, yeah, educated, better educated, I guess. And yeah. your 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 um, mother's sister married the uh, Sikerikama, yeah. who um, was born in nineteen. She was born in nineteen fifteen. Ella. Nineteen fifteen. Okay. And right. he was the brother of uh, Suretsukama. Suretsukama. The uncle. Aha, the, the uncle, uncle. The uncle. Of Suretsukama. Okay. Ruling the Bangwato on uncle, his okay. behalf, on Sarata mm. behalf, oh, okay. until he became of age. Mm. 
Yeah. And of course, Rita married in England. Mm. Got married to Ruth Kama, and there was a whole hullabaloo in Mwatuland because of this. And my father was kicked out, and that is how he then came to join his brother mm. in Mahigeng. Why was he kicked out? Did he have a he was he was he was Tigiri Khama's in law. Mm. Had been recruited by Tigiri Khama, mm. and there was a split in the Mwatu polity. Tsikiri Khama, who objected to the marriage, strangely, not because Ruth was white, but the question was one of aristocracy, you know. Mm -hmm, yeah. Why, in class, I guess, mm -hmm. why marry a secretary mm -hmm. and not someone from British aristocracy? Mm -hmm. Right. Anyway. Why marry out of love? Yeah, Why, and yeah. it was out of love, yeah, and it lasted. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, so he was kicked out of there. There were troubles. The house in we I remember this as a child. He was actually. kicked out by by the Sir supporters by father's uh, brother by by the supporters of Sir Zakam. Mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah, a regiment which of which he was the head called Malekanto. Mm. But what was your father's view on it? He was also against the marriage because of... Uh, My father not, actually. Mm -hmm. So what, what, My what? father wasn't. Uh, his brother later on married a, a woman who, 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 who was white and yeah. German, our Aunt Luke, mm -hmm. Lucretia Hommel. Mm -hmm. Hommel. So yeah. why was he kicked out then if he didn't have an oppositional view who? on it? Who? The marriage, your father. Yeah, he was assumed because he was because you see, he my father, my father, and my aunt Ella are cousins, right? Mm. So he was like an in-law, Sigurd's in-law, and therefore I suppose to them, supportive of him mm -hmm. rather than of Sirat mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I see. So yeah, and they nearly burnt down the house in which we lived. Mm -hmm. And I remember that as a child. Where 19, did you live then? 1952. 1952, that's when we moved from Saroe to, 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 to go to Mahigeng. Mm -hmm. My mother and father and mm -hmm. us children. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that is how my father came to join his brother's practice after the Group Areas Act had kicked him out of town because his surgery was in a, in a white, in an area that had been declared for whites only mm. in town. Mm. Yeah. So it's a complicated, a bit convoluted story. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. how long did they run the, the practice, the medical uh, Yeah. And then what happened is that they had after moving, some of their white patients followed them, him, them, to, 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 to where the new surgery was in the, in the, was he a in the black part of Mahikeng. Yeah, was he a surgeon? 
Uh, yeah, they did surgery at that time as as general practitioners, MBCHP, but they had they could do minor surgery, for example. Yeah, that's they they trained for that, and also a bit of chemistry. They also mixed medicines for for their patients at that time. They had been taught that. Yeah. What was so, yeah. yeah. What was your father's view on on Scotland? Did he like it there in Edinburgh? Did he feel yeah. comfortable, or was it well, racist? Well, they survived it. Mm-hmm. He came back shortly before the war. I think the Did war broke ever, up uh, in 1939. He came back if about eight months before the the war broke out from Edinburgh to 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 Mahikeng and then was recruited by Tsigeli Khama, was kicked out in 1952, joined his brother, and their white patients came to them. And, it, and in 1952, the 1950s was also, both of them were members of the ANC. In fact, my uncle was, was treasurer of, of the African National Congress at that time. And a distant relative through through our from our mother's mother's side came from was a Miss Moraka. And uh, James Moraka was president of the ANC then and and my uncle was, was the treasurer. What year was this? Fifties. Right. I think the defiance campaign happened, yes, in the 50s, 1950, 51, 52, thereabouts. And what relation did uh, your your uh, uncle and your father have to uh, Nelson Mandela? Yeah. Ma- Mandela was a lawyer at the time, and people had been arrested during the defiance campaign, organized. My father was very active there in organizing the defiance campaign. In fact, he landed in jail. Uh, and I remember Mandela came, there were no hotels in which he could live, he was a lawyer, in which he could yeah, book in, and he stayed, I think, for two nights at, at our, I remember that as a child. Who stayed at your place? Mandela. My parents put him up in Mahikeng, and he defended someone before it was declared treasonous, this this campaign, Mm -hmm. the defiance campaign of willfully breaking the law by breaking the curfew in which, which, which required that black people be out of of white sections, out of town Mm -hmm. by midnight. So why, what, okay, you remember when uh, Nelson Mandela came to uh, your home in Mafikeng uh, to, to stay with your uh, father or both your father and uncle. And what do you remember from that and why did he came? Not much. What I How remember is, is what I was told. I was in the 50s. I was, I was about 10, 9, mm, 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 mm. 10. I was born in 42. Yeah. And this was in the 50s, yeah, mm-hmm. early 50s. Mm-hmm. And what were you told about the visit, why he came? and? Uh... Yeah, to defend some people who had been arrested 
during the defiance campaign. My father was arrested as well mm -hmm. at this time, but after Mandela had left. Mm -hmm. So, uh, in fact, I was at school. My sisters and I were at school in Elora North, and we couldn't come home for mm -hmm. holidays because my father was in jail and was beaten up actually by a white policeman. So you uh, you you grew up uh, as a, a girl with uh, uh, getting to know apartheid and apartheid system uh, there in the 50s you were around 10 years old and your father who was the one and your uncle who were the first black medical doctors in, in Botswana you can say uh, they, they they became also activists uh, yes. against apartheid and yes. that system. Yes. And and I guess you can you tell me a little about what is apartheid to you? What was it then? Uh, if you start there, what was it then to you? Yeah. There in the fifties, what associations okay. do you get? Okay. To go back a little bit that in fact my father was warned by a, a white policeman to tell him that he was going, that they were going to come and arrest him. Well, all sorts of people were being arrested, right? And he had been arrested but released. And he was going to be arrested again. And he was warned by a, pol a white policeman. Arrested for what? For political activities, right? treason against the state, <laughs> you know, offenses against the state. And so he, he jumped the border, right, onto the Botswana side he, at he, that he, time. Okay, he That's how he came to, Come. to live in Botswana, in fact. Yeah, but he lived there before he came to South Africa. All his life. Mm. So he came back. Because of the way the border was drawn, which cuts, in fact, developing, the, it, there's a river called, called Ramatlabama Spruit, it goes through the Tarapping. One section of the village is, is on the South African side. Another section is on the Botswana side. Yeah. So several villages along that border. What do you think he was uh, warned about, the consequences? Yeah, he was going to be arrested. Mm. Yeah. And be put in jail. And be put in jail. So and he so took the consequences of that because yes. he wanted to continue treating patients and, and yes. cure and yes. Mm. He joined the protectorate civil service as as a medical doctor. Mm. And he worked in several places. He worked in Maum, for example, he worked in Mahalape. And his yeah. uncle? And uh, or your uncle, your his brother, what did he? He remained in South Africa. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And how did it go for him? Uh, he 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 be, he, bec he became a writer. He was a writer. He's written several books, but he continued practicing medicine mm -hmm. on in the segregated area. Yeah. Mm. And there was a time <laughs> when he was kidnapped, in fact, my uncle. This is the story that we heard going around. I myself was not there when it happened, mm. but it happened in the 50s. Mm. Uh, 
Yeah, my uncle was politically active. And he was kidnapped by some boys uh, in his car. And they put him in the boot. And off they drove in the direction of Lichtenberg. And then they stopped the car, took him out of the boot, uh, undressed him, took his clothes and the keys to the car, left him naked, and they took, they got into their getaway car and drove off. Mm. Yeah. But did he also, did he continue as a as a politician. politician. And, uh, did he also work within uh, uh, medicine? And, and yeah, he, was a he continued. When, when, when new office bearers came, were elected in the ANC, he, he continued his, his medical practice mm -hmm. in Mahike. Yeah, and wrote books. Yeah. And the theme of the books... Uh, yeah, some of the first one, I think, was published then to past and present was published, or he wrote it in, in I think it was published in Scotland, actually. Mm -hmm. The Bantu about. past and present. Uh, anthropological text, mm -hmm. native races of South Africa, something mm -hmm. of the sort. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then the lives, the biographies of, of two chiefs, Moroka, who was based in Tabanshu and Munziwa, who was the chief of the Tsiri Barolom. Mm. Moroka is Seleka Barolom. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And your father, what uh, his destiny in Botswana after he jumped over the border back to his home country that he was yeah. kicked out from, what happened to him? When he left Mahike, mm. Yeah, he, he became a medical doctor in the government medical service. Here in both British, in Kabarone? Or? British, Petronaland. Mm. Not in Kabarone. No. In Mahalate, I think, was the first time. Mm. In Soroe, Kama 3, Kama 2 Memorial Hospital. Mm -hmm. And in Mawung. Mm. He retired. When did he retire? from government service, I think it was before independence. Mm -hmm. And then, I don't know when it was actually. And then he had his private. Uh, and then he was asked by the mission hospital in Mulepululi. Uh, yeah, London Missionary Society. The medical doctor, the, the, the chief doctor, Dr. Merriweather, had died in a car accident. I forget when. And my father had just retired. And so they asked him to, to come over. And, uh, and run, and, and, and and he was there, I think, for two, two, three years and, until they got yeah. somewhere and, else. And the family followed him, you and your uh, brothers and sisters and his wife, your mother. You yes. followed him to Botswana back. 
1965 was a year of destiny. Yeah, that's it. Must have been around 65. Uh, I was at university in my second year. I had started off doing science but didn't have enough school background to continue in it. So I switched over to humanities and all of a sudden started getting very high marks, which is what I had been then prepared for. My school education had prepared me for that. So I switched over, 1963, I went there as a first year student. And then 64, I was a first year yeah, 63-64, I was a science student. <laughs> 65, in my second year, third year, second year, I switched over. Yeah, and, and yeah, got pregnant. And what, how and old were you then? I think I was 20, 21 or so. Tw 21, I think. 22. Thereabouts. I was 22, I think, in 1965, born in 1942, yeah. And because this was even, yeah, because this was a largely Catholic school, actually, at the time, uh, because the Catholics couldn't support it anymore, it became too expensive. We couldn't go into white universities when we finished school, neither in Rhodesia nor in South Africa. So many of us uh, went to what was then called Pius Twelfth University College in 1963. Yeah. And uh, came, people came from as far away as Malawi Zimbabwe, Rhodesia then, a whole group of black South African students in went to, yeah, a quota of them, Botswana, Lesotho, Swaziland, High Commission territories, and it was the British High Commissioner in South Africa, in Cape Town, uh, to whom the, our countries reported before they became independent. Mm -hmm. yeah. I wanted to ask you now a, 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 a few concrete questions yeah. around apartheid. Thank you for the background. Yeah. And um, So I missed a year yeah. because I became pregnant and then went back to finish. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, the studies. But um, yeah, in those days then when your father and your uncle uh, were running this uh, medical uh, practice um, in uh, Mafikeng, and it was in the 50s and you were around yeah. 12. You said Mandela was also there uh, for yeah. two nights. They, they supported him, they were part of ANC then. Yeah. Um, in the movement against um, apartheid. So in that age, what did you think about 
what was apartheid for you then? Uh, how much yeah. did you understand and, and how much did your parents talk to you? And, uh, we understood a lot, actually, partly because our parents were politically active. That is one. Secondly, because at home the, there was a, a library and we read, you know. And I remember we had a, a plums closet, as it's called in German, a, a long drop, our toilet was a, a pit latrine, right? And when 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 we ran out of when we ran out of toilet paper, soft toilet paper, toilet paper rolls. So my mother used to 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 put newspaper there, and we would crush it, you know, and use it. And so there I was on the toilet, and. There was a report, in fact, in the Johannesburg Star. Yeah, that was a daily newspaper, South African, Johannesburg. There had been a debate in the South African Parliament. Hendrik Verwurt was the Minister of Bantu Affairs, it was called. Blacks were called Bantu then. Yeah. And in the speech he made, he was arguing that uh, blacks have no place in, in, in what he called the, the green pastures of the white man's civilization, you know. Uh, he had no space there, no place in it beyond certain levels of labor, you know, and I understood that. I understood what that meant, also for me, you see? And, and yeah, and what, that that, what my, did that mean? That my highest aim in life would, would, would be to empty the madam's chamber pot as a domestic servant in, in, a, in a wise household, and that beyond that there was nothing more mm. for me to aspire to. Yeah, that's how I understood it. Mm. And your parents? And did we were at school then. We had also, actually, I think one of my, besides my mother, my mother was a very good teacher. But along the line, I also had Sister Conrad at school, the Catholic school I went to. And uh, Sister Conrad, 1952, that's when I went to the school, was a German nun and came from the area of, from Bavaria, actually. And uh, the war had just ended, 1945. 45, 46, 47, 48, that's when the Boers came to power, 48. 49, 50, 52, Defiance Campaign, yeah, and 52, that's when I was at school, and, and that's like seven years after the war, right? And at school, we were doing this Shakespearean play called, called The Tempest, right? And it has a black character in there, well, we assume to be black, but Shakespeare in this, in this play, uh, 
uh, has a character in there called Caliban, who on stage has, has sometimes been portrayed as, as being black, you know, and walking almost like, like, like an ape, you know, on stage. And he and his mother lived on an island which Prospero, who was the Duke of, I don't know, Milan, I think, I don't know, in those times, Italian dukedoms, right? Uh, so in, in effect, colonized, he colonized this island, right? And there's somewhere in the play where Caliban shouts in rebellion to Prospero and says, this isle was mine, which thou didst take away from me. Right. And in the play, his mother, Sycorax, is portrayed as, as, as a witch, you know. So at school, because our parents had been politically active, we recognized the colonial situation, right? I mean, our problem then was, but how we ourselves were not apes, you know. Mm -hmm. like Caliban was, was portrayed, and our parents, our mothers were not witches, you know. Uh, and so Sister Conrad explained to us, you see, a critical moment also for us, a critical question that we were asking, you know. And he ex she explained that, well, and I think it's because these concentration camps in, in Nazi Germany had, had, had just become public, you know, Auschwitz in, in, in Poland, in Birkenau, but also Dachau, discovered by the Americans, and Auschwitz by, by, by the Russians, right? Yeah. Had just, had just become public knowledge, the, the atrocities that, that happened there, the scale of the murder, industrialized murder, in fact, of the Jews. Right? And Sister Conrad explained to us that in Nazi Germany, they were, the Jews were, were called insects. Huh? I had since, of course, learned the word, ungeziefer, right? <laughs> They were dehumanized, first of all, and then murdered. And, 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 and it's, 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 it's a psychological process, I guess, that uh, yeah. And, and did you feel that even you know, with this apartheid system that it could even lead oh, yes. to, like, the, the what happened to the Jewish. Oh, yes. Because uh, apartheid was obviously oh, very yes. crude. Oh, and, yes. Uh, and it was justified. Could it, it was be legal. Genocide or it was legal. Uh, it could have... But I think, I think the Africans were too many to kill, right? The slave trades, for example, in Angola and West Africa didn't finish them off, although 
millions of them were transported. But there was still a big fear with that uh, recent background there were just from, too many from, from the Second World War and there's yeah. that's uh, genocide and uh, yeah. So that was things that was going around also. It in was and scientific racism, mm. in fact, so-called. Huh? That, How did you that feel we that blacks were the lowest on the evolutionary scale in your own country, and therefore, in, yeah, and it was right for us to be colonized, to be civilized, right, to be reduced to labor, including slave labor. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how was you, how did you emotionally emotionally uh, feel around that? I mean, if I try to understand, how, you know, how would I feel myself? I, I, I'm not sure, but uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's hard to even imagine, you know, for uh, we, 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 we react very differently on things yeah. depending on our nature, but uh, just things to could know. have happened differently, I think. Mm. For example, I've read in I don't know what his name was, one of the emperors in Europe, Karl the Gross or Karl the Great, who colonized people there in Europe, I think spreading towards Poland, eh? Prussia, but then absorbing them, you know, as citizens, not hierarchically into the empire that he established, that incorporated Poland, for example, as far as, as, as Danzig uh, in the North Sea, yeah. in the Baltic Sea. I would just add a little bit shortly, would like to know <laughs> how your parents, you know, was informing you how they were like talking with you. I mean, you said you understood also yourself, but did yeah. your father and mother, did they yes. talk with you about? Yes, this? my father, for example, when he, in, when he was involved in, in helping to organize the, the, the defiance campaign in Mahikeng, uh, Although he grew up in, in the Presbyterian Church and, and also Methodist, so he, 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 he used to go to church every Sunday and, and we would go with him, right? And he, he, he was given a slot where he could preach, right? And organize very much like the black church in South Africa, in, in, in America, right? Where the where the the, the, the pastors were, were mm. also helped to mobilize people politically, right? Martin Luther King, for example. But in South Africa, you had people like like Albert Lutuli, who who was himself also mm. a, a minister. So my father, although not a minister himself of religion, he was given an opportunity to preach and to organize and to and to advertise and to give information about the defiance campaign and how it's going to happen and when it should happen and and and, and encouraging people 
yeah, to What was to his message as you remember? The Bible, the children of Israel under Pharaoh. And that it wasn't until the firstborns were killed that Pharaohs, the Pharaohs let the, the Jews go. So that parallel, right, that political situation where the Pharaoh is the apartheid government and we are the children of Israel and we have to stand up against them in the manner that God decreed for the Israelites. A little shorter right. answer about something, Liluba. I wonder how could apartheid happen and how could it, the majority of the people let it happen for so long? Have you thought about that? Because it was something that was going on for some decades. Yeah, well, I can probably explain it just historically, right? That If you go back to British imperialism, which itself was racist, uh, which ended in South Africa around 1910, when the what was called the, the Union of South Africa was, was formed. Namely, it became what was called then a, a, a dominion. It, reached, it got dominion status. Australia, New Zealand were dominions. Uh, Canada. South Africa, which means that the white population in these British colonies were given self-governance. They could rule themselves, right? Except, I think, for the army, for defense, over which Britain still had power to influence. But otherwise, they ruled themselves, right? And what happened in South Africa, Act of Union was in 1910. 1912, the ANC was formed. 1913, the Land Act was passed, which gave all the nice arable land to white people and blacks were forced into reserves. And this is what Solomon Plucky's book is about, Native Life in South Africa. He went around on behalf of the ANC. It's still a key text for this period, investigating, interviewing, recording the effect of the Land Act on South Africa on South African blacks, right? Yeah. So they were forced into reserves, which then later were called under Furwurt, the Bantustans expanded. The Boers took over, became a, rep yeah, they were under 
they were they were a dominion until nine past nineteen forty eight. There was a time in the thirties they tried to incorporate Botswana into the into the Union of South Africa. And Sigedi Kama led the rebellion against that, right? Of the Botswana chiefs, right, who opposed it. I mean these are things that our parents spoke about, you know. And Luluk, I would like to ask you, so, did you start to act against? Sorry, so yeah. how did it, how, how, why did it last so long? It, it's, yeah, it was the power structure. Britain passing on South Africa to essentially the white population of South Africa. And then politically, for example, and in the 30s, the, what was the National Party coming to power in a coalition with, with what was then the Labour Party. And then in 1948, after the war, the Boers uh, becoming, become, be, be winning the elections, becoming a majority party and then beginning to implement apartheid legislatively in 48. And of course, well, weapons, police come into it, right? Margaret Thatcher called the ANC a bunch of terrorists, I mean. <laughs> Margaret Thatcher? Yeah. It was, um, it was a yeah. continuation. And Mandela was in jail, right? Yeah. So it was something that actually... I mean, and of course, of course, supported from England, from by, by the United Kingdom and by South Africa, by, by America, of course. So yeah. it's not just the weapons of the time during the colonial wars or fighting with spears against the gun, but it's also post-industrial, right? totally new form of organization and then resulting in empire, right? In fact, yeah, a new type also, of bureaucracy. Because also CIA, yeah. uh, they, they, uh, ANC was like um, blacklisted, like terrorists, and yeah. uh, that's how they were regarded yeah. by CIA. Yeah. So, I mean, um, the world was also supporting almost yeah. like the apartheid and of course, system. Yeah, and the mines, that is why Britain took over South Africa, because diamonds and gold have been discovered, kicked out the Boers, declared uh, itself, yeah. Yeah, and if you think about uh, a lot of those really rich, wealthy, uh, British former colonial countries, uh, their wealth has oh, been yes. built up from Cecil Rhodes. colonialists. Cecil Rhodes. Mm. Yeah, yeah, he was governor of South Africa at one stage and he established the beers as a company and of course endowed Oxford with our diamonds. <laughs> So I mean, yeah. it's still a a a, a wake up, uh, yeah. really, from from the impact of uh, both Oriel colonialism College, and it's apartheid. It's it's so recent. Yeah. 
So no, we understood what was going on. Partly also because we, we read, but we also had good teachers, and also our parents were politically active, mm. right, on both sides of the border. Mm. But yeah. did they, I mean, did they want to share with, with you as small children, not they small, did. but you were 10, 11, 12? They did. Yeah. They didn't think you were too young, yeah. and it it, it wanna you know lose yeah. your hope for for, for the future. Yeah, and we read their books. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So they were when Mussolini, for example, uh, invaded in the second, leading up to the Second World War, invaded Ethiopia, and Haile Selassie ran away. Went to Britain, I think, in exile. My father was ready to go and join his, 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 because it had been until then the only country that, African country that had never been colonized. And he wanted to go there on Selassie's side to go and help fight the Italians. Right. But it's also, I mean, you, your family was a, quite a highly intellectual family and well yeah, educated. Mission boys. Mm. If you if you think about the big majority, uh, they maybe were not that aware and didn't have that resistance within them. Well, certain or ironies actually, because you have this black-white divide, right? Uh, but within Trana kingdoms, right, you have something similar were feudal, I guess, mm. you know. Feudal system. Yeah, a feudal system, which is also hierarchical. Mm. And in Watu land, it has to do with people called Masar. Masara Kosi. Masar, Sasara, Bushmen in anthropological terms, right? Uh, also a negative word in English. Uh, no, we had feudalism in and Sweden, Bushman. and people were very suppressed. So there was a time, I think, when Barulung must have gone to war with Bakala Khadi and, and, and subdued them, even though Bakala Khadi are actually a Sotrana-speaking tribe, linguistically, right? So when we were children, my aunt, my, my father's younger sister, when we made a whole lot of noise, <laughs> when we were at her place, you know, she would scold us and say, hey, saying that we are believe, behaving like little, yeah, not so, different category. Yeah, and they looked after the cattle of these chiefly. Yeah. So, I mean. Entities in, in the you society. See, you see racism all over, really. I mean, you think about what they also call the first people like them. The Basarva also have they have they been treated also yep. here, in in Botswana, as a, like a, um, you know, 
not valued uh, yeah. as subjugated mm, and mm, subdued to mm, like who else would look after the cat citizen <laughs> who else yeah, would look after the cat not fully valued or fully yeah. you know, as a, like a second hand yeah so deep seated mm. prejudice actually. so yeah i guess it's something you always have to tr- to be conscious about and and try to yeah to hypocritical understand. even at a certain level mm. Yeah, I would like to ask yeah. you. Um, I mean, apartheid lasted for 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 really a long time, decades. And can 48, you? Forty-eight, nineteen forty-eight. It's about up to nineteen forty-eight. Apartheid proper, when it began to be implemented. Nineteen forty-eight to nineteen ninety-four. How many years? Mm. Fifty, yeah, it's ninety-four. Yeah. It's yeah, it's forty-four. Yeah. Yeah. So, my lifetime. Mm-hmm. Is that a long time? <laughs> but can you mention? <laughs> but some of course, it's a long time if you take union, mm-hmm. and the and also the British type of of, of racial segregation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you mention a few impacts on a part of apartheid on the society and people's life? The, the, just a few things that you think. Yeah, actually, I think two kind of streams. One of them, right from the beginning, oppositional. When Jan van Riebeck came and settled in the Cape, 1652, and then brought in slaves very soon after that from Indonesia, five years later. And then you have already opposition then from somebody called Yusuf, Sheikh Yusuf from Celebes, I think he came, in the Islamic tradition in Indonesia, and who, who was expelled and brought to the Cape. He was exiled to the Cape. And he founded, he led opposition there against the Dutch. Yeah, against the Dutch colony. Yeah. So it goes as far back as that. And then the Brits, Napoleonic Wars, I think it was, taking over the Cape twice. And then establishing with the discovery of diamonds in 1866, re-establishing the, the British colony, South Africa as a British colony. Mm. Yeah, and then the whole labor system. My father, when he worked in my room, used to the recruiting company called Wenella and it recruited mine labor from Malawi, from Zambia, from all over Southern Africa, including Botswana. And when my father was a medical doctor there, and for a brief period was in fact, ran, ran the hospital, yeah, he, 
recruited black labor used to, to be brought to Mawung Hospital for, for medical checkups. And, and uh, when Ella, the recruiting company, would, 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 would pay the doctors who, who individually, you know, who, who were involved in this, and they were white doctors. Uh, the time when my father was the only doctor there who was black. Yeah, for a long time. So when he got this opportunity to run the hospital, briefly, he established a, a fund and, and, got, and got people to come who, 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 who were in hospital, whose relatives were in hospital, right, and had no place to stay. So he distributed this money to such family members for them to, to, to be able to visit their relatives and, and to, to, to yeah, buy food and not just live off them, right? And that was, I think, ANC politics in him, mm. operating in that British colonial system, mm. actually, at, at that level. I would like to ask you, in short, what will be the legacy of the apartheid system in South Africa, you would say? Yeah, so two things, right? There was people who were oppositional, right up to Mandela, right up to 1994, and the independence of South Africa in 1994, and all that it entailed. But it's a long history of resistance, actually, longer than the, the, the length of time that, that apartheid lasted. That's the point I was trying to make. Mm. Uh, secondly, because of apartheid and the lavish life, of course, that, that if you compare Soweto, for example, to, to where the white people live, right? Or if you compare the the black townships, as they are called, that were established under apartheid to where the white people live. You saw all this wealth and lavish life. Not that there were not poor people in, white people in South Africa, right? Arambur, as they were called. Uh, within that system also a class system, right? But a class system which, which incorporated poor whites into, into, into the apartheid system and then made them feel to be like at a higher level than, right? There was something called the civilized native policy, which meant that as a matter of law, if you were white, working with blacks, with the same qualification and in the same area, you, as a white person, was paid much, a much higher salary than, than your black colleagues mm. doing the same work with the same kind of skills and, mm. and training. Mm. Right. Yeah. yeah. And the legacy. So, you, yeah. so you have this 
longing, this, you see, to be like that and to live like that. Uh, and uh, so very soon, not so long after independence, how many years now, 1994 to now, how many years is that? 20, mm. right? Mm. And then you have, yeah, people being caught with their hands in the ANC cookie jar, mm. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah I was going to ask you that about... That was the example. You can't afford yourself as a black person for the longest time excluded, but but wanting to be like that, and so you move into this, and uh, into that's what you do. Yeah, that's what you do in order to live like that at that level mm. to support your yeah this bank that went bankrupt. But with I people's like pension to... money in it and people buying helicopters for themselves. I don't know if the newspapers are to be believed. And Botswana has caught up, of course. With we wonder where the petroleum fund has gone. Yeah, unaccounted for. Yeah. Several millions. Is it a result also from apartheid? It's greed, corruption. essentially. Mm. I think so. Mm. You know. I would like to ask you, um, finally, what do you hope for the future for South Africa to make it heal after apartheid and a long, this long period also of bad corruption? What is your well, hopes? Well, now I'm a teacher by profession. I've always wanted to be a teacher and I've always wanted to be in the classroom because I have had very good teachers, including at university, some of them from South Africa, oppositional white people from South Africa, Clement Goodfellow, my history teacher, for example, who graduated from Rhodes and, and taught in, in Lesotho at the university we went to, Father Tui from Ireland, who taught us literature and knew a lot about Connolly and the rebellion, the, the rebellion of the Irish against against being colonized by Britain, right? Uh, yeah, and I forget where yeah, I was. I, I wonder what what are your hopes for the future? Yes, for and South I'm a Africa. teacher. Mm. I'm a teacher, right? And and not just for South Africa, but for Botswana as well. Uh, the results, for example, of, I think it was two years ago, maybe last year, two years ago, year before last, the, the pass rate, can you imagine, the pass rate in Botswana was 49% in, in the public schools. And the highest, the, the, the highest scoring school the highest scoring school was St. Joseph's College with a 49% pass rate at, at Form 5 level, you know? And then you wonder, a mission school like that, 
you know, taken over by government. And then two years ago, results of that nature. So you wonder what happened to the teaching, what happens to the funding of public schools, and you connect it with disappearing monies, you know. Uh, anyway, for me, for me, the solution at two levels is ethical at one level. Thou shalt not steal. Any huh? corruption. Yeah. Thou shalt not steal public funds for your own benefit. Politicians and... Right? Mm. Yeah. Secondly, in South Africa, for example, because under Furwurt, he was Minister of Bantu Education at one stage, and he instituted it, and he was arguing that it's no use teaching black people, the black child, mathematics, right? And then implemented it, right? It's, um, so uh, an inferior education legislated for black people in South Africa. And what has happened, my reading of the situation, is that when South Africa became independent, what they did was to throw money at education, right? Instead of actually overhauling the entire system, starting with not just teacher education, but also with pre-primary and then primary, the whole system from preschool and also the teaching, training of teachers that go with it. So syllabus as well, and committedness, you know. Classroom, in the classroom, the quality of what is taught. And to teach that quality, of course, the people have to be, who do it, who teach, must also be, be trained in, in, in particular ways. And of course, the South African economy is industrialized. It doesn't run on fresh air. You it, said it runs that, uh, on real the knowledge. first point, uh, your right? hope for the future was the ethical, that that changed, that people, a politician, stopped to steal yeah, and people invest. Steal. People steal tax monies. And it's not as if it hasn't happened elsewhere. Mm. You'd expect maybe South Africa. It happens Angola, here, it happens in South Africa. Yeah. Angola being Mozambique being the last countries to become independent in Africa, right? Would have learned from countries like Nigeria, you know, uh, and other places in Africa that we have read about Walishoenka in in in. in so what is your second hope, uh, Liloba, for the future for South the Africa? The second one is real also. knowledge, the overhauling, actually. Classroom teaching, the quality of classroom teaching has to happen. That is the pragmatic what side. What happens otherwise? Uh, we've got a situation otherwise, like we have now and can yes, get worse. Yes. And what are the consequences Reproduct, of that? You, you get people, they, they fail. It threatens the democracy right? also. Yeah. Young people 
who drop out of university mm. because they haven't been trained enough because mm. of the quality of teaching, mm. right? Yeah, and you cannot stand up for your rights and then not democracy if you are not. It you have will education. come out of frustration. Mm. The young, it happened in Ghana, in fact. It happened in Ghana, and that was Nkrumah's big support. Mm -hmm. A huge young population that was unemployed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and he oh. organized it. Yeah. I would uh, like to ask you something, not exactly about apartheid, but equality, equality between men and women, and. Um, because I know you studied that subject. Gender issues. Gender. Well, yours. Yeah. You know what a feminist looks like? <laughs> yeah, you are it's looking, like you. You are looking at one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah that's, yes, I am a feminist. Maybe I am a one too, I think so. I would like to. I am so. a feminist. Mm. And uh, what what is the meaning of being a feminist for you? That you do research and you look not just at our modern society as it exists today and what it has inherited from colonial governments in Victorian times, but you also look at the traditional system for this. You know that's what they're trying to say. <laughs> that if a herd of cattle is led by cows, it will fall, it will come to grief, right? And it's a proverb, and a proverb in, in proverbs in, in cultures that are illiterate are, are, are a form of, of uh, encapsulating, an encapsulation of, 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 what the legal system is, right? So, yeah. So how does the situation look here in Botswana when it comes to uh, gender and equality between men and women? Well, statistically, for example, if you look at at at, at parliament and you you ask yourself how many men are there and how many women. And how does it look? Right? Yeah, there are many more men than women, much more, but I don't know anymore how much. But it's something one can find out easily. Yeah. It's overwhelmingly male. In my time, I was active in setting up, well, I was a founding member of a women's action group called Emang Basaj. Right. And it was founded, all of, all of us founding members were, were university trained and based actually at UB, right? So our form of, of activism was, was legal, right? In keeping with how we had been trained, changing the laws, right? And so, when it started, yeah, it started with the Unity Dow case, in fact. It started with the law being, ch yeah, I don't know. 
Yeah, the history of it, what got us going, was that previously Botswana citizenship dependent, depended on whether you had been born in Botswana or not, right? And then that law changed and it said that you, you gain citizenship only if your father were a Botswana citizen, right? So some of us, of course, and, and not just because we were educated and met our, our husbands at, at university, for example, or on the tennis court, like Murat's father, <laughs> right? Or like Unity Dow's husband then, who, who, who was American, Dow was an American, is an American. Uh, Atalia Molokome became Attorney General her husband is Dutch, mm. right? But then there had also been any number of uh, women working in, 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 in South Africa in various capacities, many of them as, as, as domestic servants, who had married there. Some of them upstanding Christian women, mm. right? Who, yeah, is it okay? Mm. Yeah. The small yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry, I switched yeah. people. So, and who, after the law was passed, their children were not allowed in because their husbands, the husbands, their fathers were foreigners, right? Black, Zulu, you name it, Shangan, Kosa, yeah. Yeah, so we challenged this law and won, actually. That law was repealed. And the result of it was that all other laws in the Constitution. The Constitution of Botswana required that all Botswana's laws undergo a checkup in view of the finding, finding of, of, of this particular law, and in other words, tested for gender inequality. Okay. Yeah. But then the the the, the argument at the time was that it 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 would take it would cost too much money to do that. So the decision was to do it on a on a yeah law by law case as cases came up, mm. you know. Mm. I forget what the name for it is, you know. Yeah. No, but one by that one was case. great to be part of changing that law. Yes. And that uh, was yeah. something that you worked with uh, Unity Dowit yeah. also. 
but I think I'm not sure what the situation is now. I think that has changed a bit. But I'm not quite exactly sure how because I'm, I'm not a lawyer myself, mm. right? Luluba, if you would say one last thing about, you know, apartheid, what would that be? You know, you know your final message really, if that would be the last question. Well, I think it's actually general, you know, it's not just apartheid, it's just anywhere where, where inequality exists, that there are two sides, my, my, my thinking. One side is ethical, the other is pragmatic. How do you change it? How do you, how do you get rid of this inequality, right? And not only that, how do you educate against it? How do you teach the next generation? The syllabus is in schools. And what is your right? answer to that? Not what's happening in the American South, where, for example, what is called critical black theory is, or, or, or the banning of this, this book, the, the, this graphic novel, The Mouse, Mouse, I'm sure you've seen it, by Spiegelman, I think he's called, uh, and it has been banned by a school book, and it's about, and, and it's about how, how Spiegelman's parents were treated in Auschwitz and were, were killed there. And it's, it's being banned because, because it, it has pictures of violence in it, like the violence didn't happen historically, right? It's, it's like we at school being taught the glories of empire, right? And nothing whatsoever about ourselves except that we were uncivilized, we were primitive, and it is good that we were enslaved and forced into labor because of what? So no economic argument there, no marks. And then Pope's blessing. I know this from the literature, David Diop. The monotonous rhythm of the paternoster drowning the howling on the plantations. So the Catholic Church was Im so, implicated yeah. as well. So the key words are ethical, moral, you know, stand yes. up for that, uh, meaning uh, we have to work against corruption and also yes. we have to educate ourselves, our children, yes. to be stronger as yes. both individuals and yes. the nation. Yes. To, to, uh, yeah, so so I mean, the, the society or even a nation, yes. I mean, can be hijacked by by evil. It can be. Mm. It can be. Forces. Sotrano has something to that effect. In fact, motoke motoka bat. A human being is a human being because of other human beings, huh? not through exploiting them. You know, we and are telling here for each them other. that they are inferior. Yeah. I, am, I am because you. Exactly. Mm. I am because you are. Goes on and on. That's how, I don't know. 
it's also because I have a background in history mm. as well as in literature. Mm. That's how I taught literature with a mm. historical background. Mm. The content of the literature. Mm. I mean, yes. Oxford didn't become Oxford. It wouldn't be Oxford without Rhodes. No. And then they hid it. They hid this by making the endowment be well, to the college and not to mm, Africa. to the administrative, mm. the general administration mm. of Oxford. Mm. Yeah. So it's, it was built and funded through oh, yeah, yes. an apartheid system. Oh yes. What do you think? Mm. Huh? No, I heard that slave it. trade and the mm. cotton mm. that financed the. And the yeah. banks of the time. No, it's like when we pass Belgravia, you know? me and my wife Cecilia, in London, you know, yeah. where they drive the Bentleys exactly. and those wealth, wealth. You know, it came from somewhere. It came from colonialism and, and imperialism. Of course, of course. Yeah. And uh, thank you, Leluba. Yeah. I'm uh, <laughs> really happy. Thank you.